If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We are, um, if, you're, if you are new with us, uh, if uh, you haven't been around on our Wednesday nights, we are walking through the book of Luke and have been for some time and uh, have just been loving this. We are um, uh, going section by section and uh, just walking that out. And uh, it's been fun and exciting and God continues to teach us through it. And so um, just, just love what he's doing. But Luke chapter 9, verse 10 uh, tonight. Um, have you ever been hungry? I know this is a really bad thing to ask tonight on a Wednesday night after midweek, um, especially after um, uh, a baked potato bar. Um, but you know the feeling that I'm talking about. And maybe it's, um, it's, it's a time where you've been working during the day. Maybe you've been working in the summer outside in the yard and, and, and whatever it may be. And you get to the point where maybe you just kind of skip lunch and you, you, you get past that time. And you get later in the day and you, you begin to, to feel that urge, that hunger that begins to develop. And your body begins to get weak. It needs nourishment. It needs replenishment. And this is even more true when you've been outside, right? Like if you've been working outside, you've been, even if you're not working outside, this is sheer fact that you've been outside in the sun, in the elements, that just drains you. And that's where we find ourselves tonight. And over the past few weeks, we have seen what Jesus has been doing, how he, he sends out the disciples to do ministry on their own, really kind of their first assignment where he sends them out to do ministry. Um, and, and then we, we see this, this time where Herod begins to um, ask questions of who Jesus is. Um, even after this passage, what Rick did last week, kind of bookended this passage, we see that um, even the, he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And it's really it was interesting to see the two correlations of what Herod said and what the disciples said and how those kind of mirrored each other. And then we find ourselves here as they have finished their, their ministry and they've come back to Jesus and we find this passage of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And honestly, this is the most, probably most famous miracle of all of Jesus's. And you might say, well, I don't know if that's true, but, but I believe that it is. And here's why I know that is because it is the only miracle that is found in all four Gospels. It's the only one. In fact, it's the only cohesive thing that's in all four Gospels except for the death, burial, and resurrection. And so this is a big deal. I mean, this is, if, you, if you've ever done kids' ministry, if you've ever done anything like that, if your kids have a, like a storybook Bible, guarantee you, put money on it, it's in there, right? Like you know this story. And so there is some significance to this story. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. 
We find it in the four Gospels. If you're wondering where you find it, it's in Matthew 14, Mark 6, John 6, and then here in Luke 9. And so, I want you to think about this. What does this tell us about this specific story? The fact that it's in all four Gospels. These disciples, these followers of Jesus, for them to all four, and, and Luke not being one of those, but, but, but learning and, and, and investigating from them, to have come together and say, like this, this is going to be in mind. It had to make a significant impact in the lives of them and the people around them. And we'll get to more of that here in a moment. So Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Verse 10. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. Remember, they, he had sent them out on a mission, on an evangelistic ministry trip. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away and the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countrysides to find lodging and get provision for, there is, for, here, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so, and he had them sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and, gave, and said a blessing over them. And he broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples and to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. And Father, now as we dive into this famous passage, Father, we ask that you would teach us. Father, that you would remove all of uh, the distractions. Father, that your Holy Spirit would be ever-present in our own lives and in this place. Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me. Uh, remove all of, of, of the distractions and allow me to clearly articulate what you have laid on my heart and is in your word. And Father, we ask that you would do the work of illuminating in our lives. Speak to us now. Use this to shape mold and form us more into your image and we are grateful for this time in Jesus name amen so what do we know about this story what do we know about this story this story uh, it says that there were 5,000 men so what does that mean what does it mean that there were 5,000 men and this is how they counted people in that day now 
Um, you might think that this is, uh, this is sexist or however you might want to look at it, but the way that they counted was by like the head of the household, the male. And so when they say there was 5,000 men, that means that they were only counting the male heads of the households. So that could mean that for me, for my family, uh, I have four kids, so I would have counted as one instead of six. Big difference. Um, if it was a single person, maybe it was just one male, count it as one. But so that's what we know. So, so we, could, we could begin to kind of draw this out, and we could say, well, if there's 5,000 grown men, we more than likely, they're married, and so there's 5,000 women. Um, some may or may not have had some children. We don't know that. But we could easily say that if there was... Uh, one man to one or uh, one man with one wife, and we could just say for an average, we could say there was one and a half kids to kind of average that out because there was probably in that day probably more than that. This is a conservative way to look at it. Um, so let's say that's 5,000 men, 5,000 women. If you did a, a kind of a, a one and a half, that's 7,500 kids. So now we're up to uh, 17,500 people. Now that, I believe that that's a conservative number to look at. I even heard this week that, that some people think that it was nearly 25,000 people that were in this moment. This is a lot of people. Um, and so we kind of know this about this. You can kind of see that in all four Gospels. I did something. Um, I, my wife says I preached on this before. I don't know if I have or not. Um, maybe. Um, but I, like, I, I had to figure this. Like, For it to be the only one of the four Gospels, like, I, I went and just made all four in a parallel. But that's, not, that's no story. Really cool to look at. Um, that's neither here nor there. Um, the, the, so we know that this was a lot of people. Not just 5,000, but a lot of people. The other thing that is interesting about this is the bread. The bread and the fish. Now, I know what you're thinking about, and I want you to completely remove the mental picture that you have of the loaves of bread. Because before I've studied this, I've always had this mental picture of this. Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking This, now I could have done a picture, like this was, I thought this was much cooler. Uh, this is actual, and if you want to take this home, I, I, I still have the paper, you can take this home afterwards. Um, it's just had my handprints on it, okay? Um, and I may sneeze on it, but that's another story. Um, but this is what we think about. So this would have meant that if this is our mental picture, what we have seen, what we, what we know, if this was it, then this lad, this boy, would have had five of these in his satchel, okay? Seems a little much, doesn't it? it does. Seems a little much. Um, through some research and through looking through this and, and beginning to dig into that, that's probably not what the, the, the bread looked like. Um, now, I probably don't have authentic bread, but this is, this is close to it from what I have read. This is what we believe would be more like a loaf for them. It would have been more like a biscuit st style, not a cracker or something like that, but something that was probably more of a flatbread. Now, this is an English muffin. This is the closest thing I could get. If you want to pack a six English muffins, you can have those too. Um, they don't sell them by the one. So um, I have... 
there's, yeah, so anyways. Um, so you can imagine that we got the satchel of the kid, and he's been given these, these loaves of bread from his mom. Now, these more biscuit-type, flatbread-type things. Um, so remove that mental picture that you have. Um, this would have been something that, that mom would have given the son or, or the kid that, that would have been more like a snack. Like, you know, this is something so if you get somewhere and you get hungry, you have a need, you've got it. This could have been one of those things where he may have been gone for more than a day. Like he could have been traveling or, or something. And so this could have been a couple days worth of little bread, biscuit, loaves, whatever you want to call them. Okay? So we know that. Um, the fish. Now, remove the mental picture that you have of the fish, okay? Remove the mental picture if you have the fish because I have always, and I'm sure, I am sure that the Jesus storybook Bibles and all this stuff have these fish. It's like, boom, you know? Like, but think about that. You got, a, you got five of these in a satchel and you got big old fish like this in a kid's satchel. What's the first thing that kid's going to do? Complain, right? I don't care if he's 13 years old. He's going to complain, right? And I mean, there's no cars, so it's not like, oh, I'm going to put it in the trunk or anything like that. I mean, it is, I've got this in a satchel on my side. And, and think about that. I've always thought th this too, like freshly caught live fish, right? You know, that's what you're thinking. What this kid's going to, like freshly caught like live fish in his satchel with the bread and like how does that work that's not what this would have been this would have been more of a like a dried salted season type of fish that was probably more small snack like ish okay not a big fish so are we, are we good now? We have that mental picture out of our head because I think if we we have those mental pictures it kind of contorts what we're thinking about there so I didn't know. See, oh, I should have done it, shouldn't I? Doggone it. I should have brought a big old fish. Where's Jerry McDavid when I need him? I should have got Jerry. Jerry, go catch me some fish. And I, I talked to him twice today, and I, that, that's another story. Um, but these giant, like, fish, that would have been cool if I'd have pulled those up. Yeah. Um, but they would also stunk. Bread doesn't stink. And that's, no, okay. That's neither here nor Okay. <laughs> you got me all off track now. All right. That's good. Um, so th this would have not had been one of those things that would have been five giant loaves or, or, or three or two giant fish. They would have been smaller. And this is a lot of people, a lot of people to feed. And you can just begin to imagine the stress, the angst of these disciples because, you know, the disciples were already understanding at this point kind of their role in all of this. They were beginning to understand that they were here to help Jesus, to assist Jesus. And all of a sudden, they're rolling up on this mountainside, beautiful hillside off the Sea of Galilee. And it's like, man, there's a lot of people here. What are we going to do? And you can only begin to imagine what they're like, whisper, like, what are, we, what, are, what are we going to do? Like he keeps teaching, he keeps talking, he's keep, he just keeps going. It's like, it's like, you say like me at the end of 11 o'clock service, you just keep talking, you just keep talking. Anyways, um, you just keep, yeah, just seven pages of notes, not a big deal. Um, he just kept going. So this is one of those things. And here's the thing about that. 
Like this wasn't one of those moments where they're like, hey, you know, Jesus pulls aside, like, hey guys, it's getting late. Can y'all run over to the Walmart and get us, uh, go ahead and get us uh, a, a big old thing of chicken tenders and some uh, things? Or it's not like I can call up Sims and say, hey, dude, can you prepare us a baked potato bar and bring it on over? Like that wasn't what was happening in this moment. And this is the stress that they're dealing with. And not only that, we've talked about this, the impact that this made on the disciples. And, and to think about the impact that this made on the little kid, okay? Think about the kid that, that gives his, his stuff to the disciples, to Jesus, and what he does with that. And the impact that that made on the kid, that the kid told his kids down the road, and how he later on, when, when he, that kid's kids have kids, and it's like, go ask your grandpa about the, the five loaves and the two fish and Jesus and all of these things and the stories and how this went on and on and on and on. This made a massive impact. This, lay, this left something beautiful in the lives of these people, and I thought about this today. This impact that this moment that truly defined history in a way. This is the same impact that Jesus should make in our life when we encounter him as our personal Lord and Savior. It's the same impact. It's the same person that we are encountering. And so I've got four things for you with 11 minutes left. Um, I only got four pages left. We're good. Um, Four things that I want to walk through fairly quickly tonight that I believe that we can wrestle from this and understand and grow from and all of those things. First thing is this. He welcomed the crowd. He welcomed the crowd. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 10. And on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. You, you imagine that, just the sheer fact that he had sent them out and they come back and they're like, Jesus, you're not going to believe what happened and so they're excited. And I want you to, th- to see this. Like what happens is he says, it says we, he took them and withdrew to a, count, a town called Bethsaida. Like I can only imagine him, them coming and running to Jesus and saying, you got, you, you just, I got to tell you all these things that he's done. And he's like, okay, let's go. Let's, let's go. Let's withdraw. Let's, let's, let's retreat. Let, let's, let's take a little bit of time off. And I want to hear not only that, but I want to continue to teach you. I want to continue to shape and to mold you and, and to invest into you. And so that's what happens in this moment is they begin to withdraw and they begin to withdraw. And so this is what it says in verse 11. And when the crowds learned it, they followed him. And what did he do? He didn't say, no, I don't have time for you right now. I, I don't have anything to do. He said, it says he welcomed them. And he spoke to them of the kingdom and of God, and he cured those who had need of healing. He welcomed the crowd. He cured those who had need. Now, Jesus could have easily, he could have easily sent them away. He could have easily further retreated, but he didn't. And here's why he didn't. He welcomed the crowd. Look, and this is when you see stories in all of the Gospels, it is very important that you look at them and cross-reference them. Because look at what is said in Mark chapter 6. Mark's account says this in verse 34. And when he went ashore, 
he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. See, here's the thing. Jesus had been teaching the disciples. He'd been teaching the disciples, but not only that, those disciples had bigger crowds and there were bigger crowds and there were bigger crowds. And he was feeding the sheep. And what happens when you keep feeding sheep? They follow you. And so what happened is they come to, the, to, to Jesus and they're hungry for more. And Jesus feeds them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. They had no one to guide them. They had no one to teach them. So he welcomed the crowd. The second thing is this. He, used what, he uses what you have. He uses what you have. Look at what Jesus says to the disciples in this moment. They know that they need something to eat. And he says this in verse 13 of chapter 9 of Luke. He says, but he said to them, you give them something to eat. Well, they come to Jesus as the problem solver. And he's like, okay, you give them something to eat. They're like, uh, no, we thought you were just going to do something, Jesus. You give them something. What you got? He said, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fishes unless we are to go and to buy more food for all these people. Now, how this plays out, not real sure. It kind of seems as though the disciples may have kind of already figured we're in trouble. You know, like I said earlier, it's kind of like, uh, John, what are we going to do? Andrew, Peter, they're like, uh, I don't, uh, we're going we're gonna to starve. We, we got to do something. What, like, what are they going to do with these people? We're worried about these people. And look at what John chapter 6, verse 8 says. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So it is evident at this point that they've kind of perused the crowd in some way, shape, or form, asking, What do you have? And this little kid has already said, This is what I got. It's not like, What is it for this big? group of people. But here's the thing. He uses what you have for his good, for his glory. He uses the gifts that he has already given you for his good and his glory. Think about this boy. Now, if you give, if you've got kids in elementary school and maybe you give them something for the day or whatever it may be, or maybe you give them a part of their snack or part of their lunch or whatever that may be, or whatever it may be, something special. And maybe they should, you know, they should have come back with more of it or whatever. And they tell you, well, I, I gave that to Johnny or I gave that to Susie or whatever that may be. And sometimes you're like, are you kidding me? Why did you like my kids have taken toys to school in elementary school and they're like trade the toys. Like I don't understand this, but they do this. Anyways, it's like, why did you do that? And think about what this little boy is thinking about in this moment. What his mom has said to him, like here, here's you a couple of loaves. Here's you a couple of fish. Just, this is for your journey. You know, make sure you take care of it. And and I I packed this for you. And you got to think about what he is thinking in his mom. My mom told me to use this for the next, what am I going to do? You know, what's running through his mind? Surely he knew that this was not enough food for them, but there was something that he knew to give. That he had been given this and now he's giving this gift to Jesus. He's given this because somebody, God has blessed him with this and he is 
in turn giving it away. So he uses the gifts that he's already been given. But here's the thing. Many times we have gifts that are given to us. And I'm not just talking about bread. I'm talking about the gifts that God gives you spiritually, that he has given you at birth. You have a skill set. You have abilities that God has given you, talents. He also gives you spiritual gifts for the kingdom. And here's what he says. He says, I want you to use them, but here's what you have to do. You have to take those gifts and you have to lay them at his feet. Because he, he, he knows he's given them to you. He knows all about them. He's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows he formed you. He shaped you. He knows what you have. But you have to be willing to lay them at his feet and say, Here, Jesus, take what I have and use it for your good. You follow me? And so here's what this little boy did. He gave what he had. He offered up what he had at the feet of Jesus. So God uses what you have, what he has given you. Third thing is this. He is the one who satisfies. He's the one who satisfies. No one went hungry. This wasn't a snack. I mean, when we begin to look at something like this, like, and you think about five of these being multiplied over and over and over. Like, you begin to think, like, even if I took these six pieces that I have tonight and I started spreading them amongst you, you're not going to get, if you hadn't eaten at this point and this is all I had to offer you, you're not getting your belly full, right? You're not. Don, you laughed. You want, like, three of them? <laughs> Don, Don's like, give me that one. I won't, I'll take the big one. But this is not, he doesn't say that they, it, it kind of it eased their hunger. It says that they were filled and they were satisfied. And that's what the Greek word means here. It's not that they just ate a snack, but they ate a meal. And here's the thing. I believe that this was probably the best meal that they had ever had. I believe this is probably the best meal that they had ever had. And you're like, well, Will, if it's that kind of bread, something like that, and it's like these dried fish, how good could it have been? But here's the thing. You know good and well that me tearing or Jesus tearing that apart, that, that it's not going to multiply like that. What happened is Jesus created new food. I, this miraculous act, God himself, Jesus, the one who spoke things into existence, who formed and knit together everything in creation, begins to create something out of nothing. Like pure food. Like pure, like un, un, not even any way, shape, or form had been through the sinful nature of this world. Like pure Food, And I can only imagine that this is probably the best food, the most satisfying food that these, these 20,000 people had ever had in their life. And it was just simple bread and fish, but it was not from just a simple person. It was from the creator of the universe. And so in this moment, they were blown away. But here's the thing. It also created a problem. It created a problem. Now that these people had experienced this type of feeding, man, I don't know who that dude is. I don't know what he's teaching, but the dude can cook. <laughs> right? Like, you, you find, when I started, this is not my notes. When I started dating Katie, 
Like I found out her, her dad could cook, and I ended up at their house all the time. Um, right? Yeah? It, none of my family's in here, right? Mom, you're not in here, right? Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> I love you, Mom. I'll give you a hug here in a minute, okay? I love you. I thought you scattled out of here. Okay. Um, all right, so this created a problem. I just created a problem too, but that's another story. This created a problem. See, they missed the point, right? They missed the point. See, the point was not the physical satisfying, right? The point wasn't the physical satisfying. It was a part of it, but the part was the spiritual satisfying that he was trying to teach them. Look at John chapter 6, verse 25. Now, this is following the, um, the, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 in John, but this is, this is what follows after. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And, and not the, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give, for, give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So he says, listen, you were following not because you saw a sign, but because you, you like my food. You got your belly full on the physical side. And Jesus says this in verse 32. He says, uh, he says this, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. You know where he's going? He says to them, uh, they said to him, sir, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Who comes, whoever comes after me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen, you have seen me and you still yet do not believe what happens here is that he is the one who satisfies. And he's the one who satisfies not just the physical. Yes, he provided for the physical. But what he's saying is he's saying, listen, you came because of the miracle. You followed me because of the miracle. But it's not because of the physical that I'm trying to get you to understand. It is the Father who has sent you true bread. It is me. I am the one who will be broken on your behalf so that you can live forever. It is the eternal bread of life that he is laying down before them and, and showing them here in this moment. The fourth thing is this. No one lacks. No one lacks. There wasn't a person that day that didn't get what they needed. Have you been here on a Wednesday night where more people came than we had food for? Anybody been here? We've been here. That's been that's happened. If you've not, sometimes that happens. We miss order, or y'all don't sign up, and you show up, and that happens. Um, y'all didn't do that tonight. That's good. Um, but it happens, and, and here's what happens at the end. Like you get toward the end, and it's like we're sitting back there, like, is this? Uh, <clears throat> I, I don't have any powers. Like I don't got this. Like making this multiply. What's gonna? God help help. <laughs> And we're like, 
you get worried, right? You get worried and you get to the point where you're like, what's going to happen if somebody doesn't get to eat? What are we going to do? What are we going to say? This wasn't that moment. See, no one lacked in this moment. This made such an impact. No one lacked. And what ended up happening is the disciples ended up with a basket of their own. They ended up with 12 baskets. You think that's a coincidence? I think not. Look at verse 17. And they ate, and they all ate, and they were what? Satisfied. And what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. You can begin to think and kind of place yourself in the disciples' position that day. As, as, as they see that, okay, God, I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know what you're going to do, but I don't know how you're going to make this multiply. But I can only imagine that they begin to, sit, to do this. And it says that they, he set them down in groups of 50. This is the other part about this story that is so beautiful. God is not a, a God of, of disorder of, or unorganization, but he is, a, he is a God. He is a creator of order. And even in this moment, he organized it in such a way that 20-something thousand people were able to sit down on a hillside and they were able to deliver food to these people in an orderly fashion. And it was his design. It was his way. But you can only begin to imagine what the disciples are going through in that moment and what they're thinking in their head. Like, am I going to get anything? Like, I've done all this work. Like, I've been carrying this basket back and forth. I've been taking these things, and I, am I going to get anything left over? And when it's all said and done, when everybody's satisfied, the disciples are sitting there, and they have their own basket full. Their own basket full. No one lacked. No one lacked. So why was this? What's the key to this? I believe the key to this is that they listened to Jesus. He says, have them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. And they all had them sit down. And in taking the loaves, he looked up to heaven. He blessed them. He broke the loaves. And he gave them to disciples to set before the crowd. They listened to Jesus. I read this this week. Hudson Taylor said this. When the Lord's work is done the Lord's way, It'll never lack the Lord's provision. When the Lord's work is done the Lord's way, it will never lack the Lord's provision. And this is the, this is the key to all of this. When we do things God's way, God's order, God's design, after God's plan, the way that his word ordains for us to do things, when we do it that way, he never ceases to provide for us. He owns a, ca- a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. They are all his. They are all, everything is his. And so it doesn't matter what you're up against. It doesn't matter what you're dealing with. He is your provision. No one lacks. 
And I'm sure that in the midst of this situation, they felt like there's no answer. But even, even for us, even for us, when we deal with things in life, when we go through situations or circumstances, we feel like there's no way out. There's nothing left. Here's the things. Even when the moments get hard, he, Jesus, knew what was going on. He knows what was going on. Even in this moment, even before all this happened, Jesus knew what was about to take place. You know what that means for you? That what's going on tomorrow, what's going to hit you square in the face tomorrow, he already knows about. He's already ahead of you. He knows, he knows what's going on and he knows how he's going to provide for you. Warren Wiersbe said this, in the crisis hours of life, When your resources are low and your responsibilities are great, it is good to remember that God already has the problem solved. God already has the problem solved. No one lacks. No one lacks. I want to close like this. Cameron, you can come. What is, what is God doing in your life? What is God doing in your life right now? And this is kind of an introspective type of thing for you to think about. What is God doing in your life right now? What is he trying to show you in you, in your own self, and in your life? What, do you, what is he trying to show you? But not only that, but what, what do you have that's in your hands, that's in your ability, that you are holding back from him? Because here's, here's the thing. I can only imagine that in the midst of all of these 20 plus thousand people, How many more of these people had these little loaves in their satchels? How many more of these people had these little loaves in their satchels? But when the disciples came around and they asked them, what do you have that we can help feed? That they held back from giving to the Lord what he needed. It wasn't that he needed them to make the miracle happen. It was that he wants to use you in what you have And he wants to bless you through that. You see what I'm saying? He has given you something. And I I know without a shadow of a doubt, there are times where in life we sit and we hold on to the things that he has given us. We hold back from him and we don't lay them at his feet. But yet he has given us everything that we have. He's given us all the good things that we have in life. And all he's asking is that we lay them at his feet so that he can use them. That's your gifts, that's your abilities, that's your talents, that's your spiritual giftings that he, his Holy Spirit has indwelled you with for the betterment of the church. And so it doesn't matter what it is, sometimes we just hold it back from laying it at the feet of Jesus. I mean, the mindset that we have many times is like, I've been there, done that, it's time for somebody else to do it. But that's not what God's word says. He says, you serve me until you called home. 
You lay down what you have been given at your at my feet every single day. He says to pick up your cross and follow me every single day. Not there's a time where you can stop doing that and it's over. No. He says, I have given you something and I want you to use it. Just like this little boy. Like physically, this little boy had been given some physical material and instead of holding on to it, but instead of holding it in his satchel so he didn't get in trouble with his mom, he said, okay, God, have it and do what you want. And because of that, look at the shift, look at the impact that it has made in our world today. Not only that, it's in all four gospels. His yes was on the table. And maybe for you, you've just been holding back. And maybe, maybe God has been calling you to do something. Maybe you've had that nudge, that urge in your heart, in your soul, in your spirit. And he's calling you to do something with, with what he has given you. And you just keep holding back. You won't lay it at his feet. And all he's doing and all he asks is says, put your yes on the table and allow me to show you what I can do with it. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that even when you go back to Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abraham to go, what happens in that moment, what happens in that story is he says, I am calling you to go to a land that I will show you. You know what he didn't do? He didn't tell him how to get there. He didn't give him a roadmap. He didn't even tell him what it was all going to look like. He just said, I'm calling you to go. And he left everything, Abraham left everything that he had, and he followed after what God was calling him to do. And maybe you're in that place tonight that you've got something that God wants you to lay at his feet that he wants to use not only for this church, for his kingdom, for his good, for his glory so that his kingdom will continue to advance, to duplicate, to replicate over and over and over. I told you this, I think this morning, Lynn, didn't I? About the Legos. Yeah, it's like God's the master Lego putter together, like the builder. Like whoever designs the Lego, he gives you every single piece for every thing that you need. And he does the same thing inside of a church in the moment that a church is here together and they're doing things. He gives everything that you need in this moment. And you're here for a reason. So what are you going to lay at the feet of Jesus? Y'all stand with me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. We ask that you would continue to work, to stir, to move. Father, we ask that our yes would be on the table, regardless of what you're trying to do, regardless of what it is, that our, our yes is on the table, and that whatever it takes, whatever is before us, that you, that, that we would just say yes to whatever you want. That we would lay those things at your feet. So Father, I don't know what people are dealing with, what the people are, are struggling with tonight, but Father, I just ask that people would lay things at your feet, whatever it is, whatever it takes. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all sing with us. The altars are open. We would love to pray with you.